Well, welcome everyone to the Next Steps podcast. Uh, that's the Tuesday one. We're recording on Monday, um, but this is Tuesday, just in case you're wondering, and we'll, we'll get started. But as we start, uh, we want to acknowledge and pay respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. We also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. Yeah, so welcome to our podcast. Now, Paul, you're back. Paul Dare, you're back, which is exciting for us. Um, I'm hoping it's exciting for you, except I used to say that the emotional jet lag takes three weeks to arrive back. Physical jet lag takes three days. Emotional jet lag takes three weeks. How are you feeling about that? No, no, it was all right. It was a, um, it's about a week for me. It was the emotional jet lag, but then it was okay. So yeah, yeah. had a really good time in England though. So seeing my daughter, so it was really nice. But yeah. Glad to be back at the same time. Yeah, mm. yeah, good. No, it's great. It's great to have you back. And and just um, well, Ron, in a few weeks you've got a bunch of people coming up to your farm, which is pretty exciting as well. Uh, yeah, there's a group. Yeah, so in we're doing Kingston. a um, a, a yeah, thing on uh, healing. Um, mm. yeah, which will be really interesting. So if people want to learn more about about uh, being in Indigenous Tasmania and the challenges we face, I think it'd be a really good thing to do. So, yeah, and the information yeah. is on the website. Yeah, we'll, we'll pop a link in the chat here if you want to see it. But there's three days, Monday, the yeah. first Monday um, of the second week of school holidays. I think that's the 10th. Someone look that up while I'm talking. Um, yeah, the 12th to Wednesday. So yep. Yeah, so mm. 10th going to Wriston Cove and actually doing some kelp um, craft. And then the next day, going to Fanny Cochran Smith's church down, uh, where do you call that? Down at um, near Oyster Cove. But hmm. what town's that? Wybelina. Wybelina. I should have looked this up before I started. And and just exploring some of the history down there. Uh, hmm. And then and then heading off to your farm up at Levendale and looking at some of the, I mean, I'm guessing you'll be showing them some of the tracks that people have been walking yes, along for will. thousands of years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So encouraging people to go to that if they can. Anyway, we'll pop the link in the ch in the chat here so you can look at it more. Um, yeah, but that's exciting. Anyway, at the moment we've we've made a shift. Um, we've been focusing on the Book of Matthew. Now, for those that don't know, it, the Book of Matthew wasn't written by this Matthew in the call. It was by a guy a couple of thousand years ago, Matthew. We've been studying this book for a fair while, and we're going to finish it next year. So we've really gone deep into Matthew, one of the mm -hmm. four Gospels. Um, but we're shifting this week to look at the Psalms. Matt, do you want to explain why we're making that, why we're doing that shift? Yeah, we're calling this sermon series "Into the Arms of Love," and just realise, um, like we we've sort of gone a bit heavy for the last weeks as we go into Matthew and we're talking about the end times and we're talking about, you know you know, what these parables mean or, you know, what happens after you die, all of which are really important questions. But the sense was we need to sort of gear back a little bit and remember what's actually important. And uh, and and for me, I, I, I admitted on Sunday, I, I use the word artsy-fartsy a bit, which gives me a, a, a gives you a bit of an indication about me. Uh, I, I tend to be a bit more in my head than into my artsy-fartsy side. Uh, and so, so I need to, I, I, I need to, to, to engage more. I, I love the Psalms and there's something, something about poetry and art that gets to your heart beyond your head. Uh, and that's why, 
I felt like as we were wrestling with it, the sense was we need to come back and get to our hearts beyond our heads a bit for a season and to come back to the the, the heart of love and, and God's love for us. And, and, and this coming weekend we'll be taking next steps in the Psalms, looking about what does it mean to rest in God. Uh, and and so, so that's it's kind of it feels like it's a bit of a, the attempt at least for these weeks uh, with a few interruptions for a, a youth-led service and a, a Baptist World Aid service. But through till Christmas now, we're sort of going to be in the Psalms and uh, see if we can approach it more from our hearts than our heads is kind of the, the intent. So you're saying you feel more energised by a rigorous intellectual lecture than walking around the National Portrait Gallery? Uh Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm more at home with that. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if I like. I there is art that brings me to tears, particularly mm. performed by the band U2. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but good art does get to me. I like. I went with Leanne to Mona the other day, and some there was some. Really thought-provoking stuff. There's some really weird stuff there too. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I value the arts. I just, I for me, a lot of the journey has been to, to wrestle through faith and how do you, how do we actually do this stuff. Mm. Uh, so that's part of the part of the journey yeah. I've been on. And where would you talk about with the creative heart language stuff compared to him? I actually, well, I I um, really relate that creative stuff, I think it's really important. God made us. I mean, God is the ultimate creator, isn't he? If you look at his art of landscape and um, the world in general, I mean, how can we? It just blows me away when I look at the artwork of God and the way it touches me. And I think that, and we're made in his image, and in his image also means being able to create. And it seems to me that um, there are ways in which music, and painting and art and poetry and all kinds, all of that, the visual and and lyrical and everything else, it's really important because it does, it taps into people in a yeah. way that um, we need both the logic and the rational, but we also need that creative. And, yeah. I, and I really like what Matt was saying about how sometimes we need to go beyond just knowledge and experience God at the heart level. And in yeah. fact, it's really important because God says, you know, um, he wants us to love him with all our hearts, with all our emotion, as well as our intellect, as yeah. well as our spirit and everything else. It's all really important. Yeah. And, and often, often a bunch of stuff that's going on inside us is subconscious and mm-hmm. not within reach of our mind. And, some yeah, and that, like you'll, something will be really profound and meaningful and they'll say, why? And you're like, I don't know. I can't describe why. Yeah. Um, I've just been upstaged, by the way. But <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> Matt's got a new member of the family, a new grandchild, <laughs> I think we'd call it. My, my daughter just bought a puppy and the puppy, Daisy, oops, hang on, no, she just pressed the computer there. Uh, the, uh, Daisy has just joined the family. I'm really hoping she doesn't pee on me because I'm babysitting her for the next <laughs> half hour so <laughs> <laughs> about that really so for those listening this is really unhelpful but for those yeah. watching you, you you know every now and then you might find that daisy sticks her head in 
and uh, she's a tiny little thing. Anyway, sorry about yeah. that. So back to Paul, if we may. Paul, wh where are you at with heart and head and creativity? Oh, are you muted? I'm not picking you up there. Creativity is really an interesting term. So was art. I was just thinking about it when Anne was speaking. Like if you see a steam engine in full flight with the smoke billowing out and the steam billowing, that, that can be art to people as well. So, yes. you know, like it yes. is just really in the eye of the beholder. Um, mm. and, and so, you know, like for me, art is where you find your sweet spot. And I think you can look at something like that, you know, like a machine and you can see God in that as well because of all the things that have had to happen for that to come true, God had to have played a part in it. Mm. And so, I don't know. For me, art is where whatever takes your fancy on the day. And as Matt said, some days, you know, some of the great arts of the world can move you, you know, like, and then as Anne said, the creation, you know, you look at creation and some days you just, how can you not be moved? You know, so there's a lot yeah. of variance. And then from the Indigenous side, when you're on country, you just feel a connection to land. And and, and that is something that is pure art. And, and that's where also the heart side comes into it as well, because, because it is just that it is just part of you and i think when we talk about heart and head and all that stuff the heart stuff is is the is the crux of the matter which matt's whole sermon was really i think sort of heading towards is the heart stuff versus the head stuff but then again the other the other point i think about is what we today consider to be heart is that the same as what they were talking about when they said heart back there, you know, like I think we use heart in a different way too, which is a big yes. interesting thing to unpack. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Well, maybe before we unpack that a little bit, because, uh, yeah, I, I think um, there's there's one phrase that I really enjoy, appreciate, is that my mind is running to catch up on what my heart already knows. Mm. Um, and I, I find that phrase quite helpful that there's often stuff that I know deeply and my mind is running to catch up to understand it and understand why. Or, yeah. And so for me, when we talk about this art stuff, it often means a, a chance to reflect um, or some space and time, yeah, to, to reflect. We're supposed to give it a bit more space, I think, which um, I would recommend people, if they get a chance, go back and listen to, well, we're about to read it, and in a sec, um, Matt read yesterday Psalm 16 and just read it slow enough so that you could actually take in each line. So, but um, Paul, did you want to unpack a tiny bit more about the heart and how we mean it now compared to before? Uh, it's just, it's really one of these contradictions we have in the church. I think, I think we keep saying is make sure you listen to God, listen to your heart, mm -hmm. but don't listen to emotions at the same time. And for a lot of people, heart is emotion. And it's how do you how do you actually how do we define the two in the different contexts of what we're talking about? Because what we're talking about is is what you just said. You know, the heart is that understanding that you have, but it's not emotive. But for other people, heart means love, which is the emotive side. You know, and it's just this: how do we define heart when we talk in Christian circles? And I, and I often wonder whether people outside those circles actually understand what we're talking about when we talk about heart. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. Yep. Any response to that, guys? Yeah. Well, I, certainly my understanding is that the popular understanding of heart is different to the biblical understanding of heart. But the, the biblical understanding of heart is more to do with your will, the centre of who you are, but the popular understanding of heart is more to do with your emotions. Mm. Um, and, and it's important to understand that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think um, to, the whole person is a mix of all of it, isn't it? And if you only focus on the emotions or you only focus on um, the rational or whatever, then you're out of that. You're out of balance kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I know that um, so you're kind of and, and I seem to remember reading somewhere, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a theologian and I don't understand necessarily everything to do with the um, the Hebrew conception of soul, but it's it's like soul is the whole of a person. It's mm. It's this, it's your, it's that spirit part of you. It's your, the emotional part of you. It's your intellect. It's, you know, your passion and your will, and everything comes together into soul. And when, and what God wants of us is to be in connection with and under, and, and um, expressive and and responding to him with all our soul, in that mm. sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I think we'll jump in, Anne, if you are happy to read. Yeah, so okay. For those listening and not watching, and not watching. missing out on Matt being climbed all over by the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Psalm 16, um, which is a mictum, which Matt talked about yesterday, what that is or what we don't, what we think it might be, of David. Keep me safe, my God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My he also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Mm. Great. Thanks, Anne. Mm. Matt, is there any way you want to introduce this next part of the conversation? Well, part of what we did was we just asked people to reflect on, as you read and heard that psalm, what what word or phrase stands out to you? Because rather than, as we come to the psalms, we want to do that a bit more. We want to say rather rather than pulling it apart, let it let it pull you apart. What what is the what 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 in here stands out and speaks to you? And that's what we got people to do and we got their got their responses to that uh and and that, i feel that felt like a good place to start the conversation yeah have you got those responses there yep i'll chuck it up yeah, yeah thanks so these are the lines or phrases or words that stood out to people as we read through it so the the main ones paul do you want to read out some of the big ones uh, refuge, you will not abandon me. Rest, joy, secure, I will not be shaken. Safety, safe. Delight. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Refuge is probably the biggest one when you look at all the other half refuge ones, if that makes sense. Yeah. Safe yeah. and refuge. Yeah. yeah. And so this is where we start talking about the the response to that question of which line or which phrase, which word stands out to you, that's mm. that's probably not an intellectual question, but no. hopefully we're answering that as a point of letting it sink in as we're reading it and then letting something rise. Oh, this, this stands out to me today. And it's interesting. You, a, a person will give a different response to that question. Most like often there'll be a different response each day because today this is what stands out to me compared to yesterday that's something of the creative process of going in seeking to understand and then pulling something out it's it's similar to if i it, that's my phone <laughs> it's great it's similar to if if um if someone asks me how am i going i can answer them instantly from my intellect and just say good it's just a habitual response or i can hmm. actually sink in try and think how am i feeling about that how do i how however do i choose to respond today and then letting it come out and so similar with this one, Matt, as, as you read through the Psalms, what stands out to you? Because I think that's often what God wants to show you as well. Mm. So, Matt, if you can pop those words up again, and it'd be nice, which one stands out to you today? And do you want to explain a bit why that stands out to you? I'll give you a second to just look through them. I think I think the line most of these responses will be actually direct words or statements from the psalm. One that stands out to me is "You'll be filled with joy" or "Fill me with joy," today. Hmm. Uh, this this and, uh, joy and peace go hand in hand for me. If, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, the one delight um, I think that's a bit along the same lines, um, Dan. Uh, it's actually not necessarily there, but as I was reading it and as I heard it yesterday, um, the ones, the, there are the words boundary lines, but mm. I love the way it writes, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Mm. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I just 
love that verse and and I love the way um, Matt unpacked it yesterday that if you think about David's life he had a lot of hard things going on in his life it wasn't an easy life by any stretch of the imagination um, he was on the run for a lot of the time he had all kinds of things happening in the family that were a lot of tensions and times it was all just imploding on itself um, but through it, and, and he himself did some, made some pretty bad choices at different times in the, and had to put up with the results of those choices. But here he is, he says, notwithstanding all of that, the boundary lines you've set for me have put me, placed me in mm -hmm. pleasant places. And I have a delightful inheritance. I just love that. Mm -hmm. yeah, great. Hmm. How about for you, Matt? I think the the one that stands out to me today is where it says counselling me, or in the psalm it's, it says, "At night my heart counsels me." This picture that God God's given me advice; He's given me direction, and and uh, and often the question for me is whether I'm listening or not. Um, hmm. But this nice fancy. God's wanting to counsel me. Yeah. Yeah, great. Paul, any stand out to you today? Uh, the one that always stands out to me. It never changes, actually, which is really strange. Yeah. It's uh, you alone are my portion of my cup. You know, Psalm mm. 23, 5. It's the same, yeah. the same thing for me, you know. I yeah. lack nothing. Yeah. Lose my shepherd, I lack nothing. So I think there's other ones... That's the one that always stands out to me when I first read it, hmm. um, and as a reminder, there's other ones that you go back and go, oh yeah, yeah. Depending on the day, that the others have different influence on you, but to me, it's always the same one that stands out. Yeah, yeah. Now, and you were just starting to say, but David had a pretty tough life. Yeah, he spent a bit of time in exile where he clambered up to his enemy's castle and played insanity to to try and seek safety there. He uh, he um he'd lost his first love that was taken from him. He um ended up murdering a guy because he thought his wife was pretty gorgeous, and and so then married her. His son um actually tore the nation apart. Uh, mm -hmm. so his, his son caused civil war basically mm -hmm. against him, and he didn't know how to respond to that. This, so the, the writer of this psalm is someone who, I mean, we all know, I think most of the listeners will know the David and Goliath story. That's right at the young part of his age. But here's this musician, harp player, who is he's apparently physically attractive. He is athletic, um, knows how to kill a bear. <laughs> who doesn't like that kind of person? Uh, but, but this guy who grows up through a lot of trauma through his life and, and writes... I don't know how old he was when he wrote this stuff, but but he, throughout throughout his psalms, we constantly see this theme of my cup runneth over and my portion is full, and I'm thankful for the boundaries you've given me. And hmm. yeah. Any, yeah. any response, or anyone want to continue that? Uh, I think the other part of that too is he says in many places how how um, the word of God is so important to him. It's like his foundation. Um, yeah. You know, the, your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And 
if you like, um, he always grounds himself, notwithstanding everything that's happening and his sometimes bad choices, he always comes back to that. He always comes back to what God has put in place and the word of God and and has discovered for himself um, what a um, what a source of strength that is. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that he's got to know something about the character of God and God's faithfulness and his love. And and as as Paul said, that he is enough. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and so he doesn't have to be shaken at all. I, I wish... I wish David was here and we could ask him a few questions about his psalm writing. So David wrote about half of the psalms, 73 or 75 of the psalms out of 150. Um, and it's, um, I'd like to ask him in this psalm, Psalm 16, and a lot of them are like it, is he trying to call himself up to a place of peace and joy? It sort of, um, it's not wishful thinking, but this is where I want to be elevated to. Or is he writing of his actual experience of God in that moment? Do, do you guys have a response to, I mean, we can only guess. Well, one of the other things that strikes me about the Psalms is in many places he will say, remember, remember when, remember this, remember that. And even when he's complaining at God and saying, you know, why did this happen? You know, oh, you know you've, you've abandoned me, blah, blah, blah. By the time he's actually got that out of his system, he also, it, it, in the process of being raw and honest with us and with God, in the, really it is God, but he's honest with us in the, the most wonderful way, <laughs> um, it's like he's, God soothes him through that confession, that honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 as he and he tells, and I think maybe it is partly a reminder, a reminder to what's what matters, but I think it is actually a, a personal reflection of his experience of God too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's anyway. That's my view. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a it's always a bit of a, a a mixture. I love that some of the psalms are kind of what the hell, God? What are you doing? You know, mm. and, and they, they don't sh shy back from the mm. this this is a mess, this sucks, you know that kind of stuff. But I think things like this, this psalm in particular, is a statement of a, what a healthy spiritual life looks like. Mm. Uh, and we know that David wasn't always there, mm. and we know we are not always there. But it's important to be able to have a picture of what what kind of life we want to have, what kind of spiritual life, what kind of relationship we got we want to have. Mm. And so, yeah, I think I think it's, it is a bit of a mixture. So I do think there is an element of him calling himself up and out uh, mm. as well as, um, as probably there are times where, if I'm to be honest, I, I could write uh, a really positive, you know, I love you, God kind of psalm because yeah. there are times where it's like that too. Yeah. There, there are definitely times when I could write, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, or my portion is, my cup is running over, my portion is full. There are times I can definitely write that stuff fully heartfelt. Yeah, and other times when I, I bet you David would read back through his Psalms 
and and he'd be like, "Oh, I need to get back to that spot because I remember it." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so this is, I think, this captures a bit where um, the Psalms poetry music speaks the heart language. It doesn't need to be interpreted on the way out. It just speaks the heart language, and so mm -hmm. these words would have a a strong soul depth. Um, yeah. For David, when he went back and read over them, sometimes. Yeah, good. Well, I'm not sure where to go from here in the podcast. Any other comments? I, I, I've got a comment if you'd like. Um, yeah, great. I was actually thinking about it before, you know, like we talk about it. And I sometimes wonder whether the way we actually preach the Psalms, for want of a better term, is causes more heartache than it actually solves. Mm -hmm. Because we've just talked about how David was not perfect. David had lots of issues in life. You know, he had, um, as you mentioned before, you know, he had a man killed. He, you know, he lost choked children. He was on the run. He was a fugitive. All those things in life. And and in the moments he remembered that God was his portion. And that and that's fine. You know, that's probably the that's probably the key verse. Is God is his portion and his inheritance is safe. They're the, I think they're the big ones. But we've got to be really careful that we don't actually go the other way and say, you know, God is your portion, therefore do this. I think we've just got to be really careful and go, God is your portion. You'll make mistakes. There'll be days where you don't see it. Hmm. But he's always there. And I think I think sometimes we sell it as a an unattainable goal when when I actually think it is an unattainable goal to be honest to be you know right with God 100 percent of the time you know mm. most days of the week I think I think it's unattainable but we we I think David's a classic example of encouraging people you know to reflect on what you've gone through and go yeah God is my portion and 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 you know, if I actually listen to him and I know in my heart, if I listen to him, things will be all right in the fact that at the end of time, at the end of your time here on earth, you'll be in heaven with, with Jesus. You know, I think, and I don't think we, it doesn't mean, you know, like David, he had those moments of brilliance, didn't he? But he still had bad times afterwards. So even though, even though, you know, so you might be right with God for one minute, but, but the point is, you're not always right with God, because because <laughs> we are human. And I, I just think sometimes we the the Psalms, I think, are an ideal, but they've got to be read in, in the um, in what they're written for. With David, actually, as you said, Anne, and I think Dan and you all said, you know, they've got to be read in the case of he's had his bad days, he's had his good days, but at the end of the day. He still remembers that God is his portion. I think that's the key to it. But we we can't push the the perfection side of it too much. I think that's my personal take on it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great. Absolutely. And, and I think Psalm sixteen. Part of what I was wanting to communicate on Sunday is that Psalm sixteen kind of lays out uh, what does it mean to live in relationship with God as kind of a guide. Uh, it's kind of, a, and and I bet you David comes back to it. Like he, it, it starts off by saying, "God, 
I'm going to need you to hang on to me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a tough time. But he says, he says I know I'm going to need mates. I, mean, I know I'm going to need friends. And I know I'm going to have to watch out for people who are heading in the wrong direction because I could get led astray easily. Uh, and, and he actually, and so he talks a bit about that. But he comes back and says, God, all my portion and my cup. But, but he's, he, he, he keeps coming back to uh, who God is and finding his meaning and purpose and life in God, naming the fact that it would be easy to, to try and look for life in other places uh, and that he's going to need support to, to do that. So part of what he does is he says, look, you know, I could have been other things, but the boundary lines for me are full in, ple- in pleasant places. I'm, hap- I'm, I'm happy and I'm grateful for who I am and where I am. I think that's, yeah. part of the, that's part of the journey. For many of us, so frustrated with some of the painful parts of our life or what we're not, he's saying, he's kind of saying, well, you know, I think we've got to learn to be grateful. But, he, but he's also, I, I think, I find it interesting that the, the very first thing he says uh, after, you know, you're my God and apart from you, I've got no good thing. He said, I know I'm going to need friends. I'm going to, I'm going to need people who are heading in the right direction. And my delight is going to be in them. And I'm going to have to watch out for people who are heading in the wrong direction. Yep. Yeah. And in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Psalm um, 16, verse 3 and 4, I think you you furthered this conversation. Um, It it said, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones of whom is my delight. And those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names to my lips. So you talked a bit about that, Matt, about those who you associate with, you pick up values from. Do you want to talk? We, we had a question from one of our listeners as well that said, well, surely we're not supposed to totally isolate from people that we don't well, agree with. Well, I read the question out. So we, yeah. Is, yeah. Is that helpful? So from Pete Clark, you just said, said, hi, Matt, as part of your unpacking Psalm 16, you said we're shaped by the people we hang around with. You went on to say that we need to distance ourselves from those who place a high value on things that are not important. I can understand where you're coming from. I just wonder if it's worth unpacking how we can have a positive influence on the people, on these people without compromising our own values. Mm. Also, how can we avoid being sucked in by those who give the appearance of valuing what we believe is important, yet are really caught up in pride, self-righteousness, etc., like many of the religious teachers Jesus encountered? Mm. I, I love the question. I guess to the, the nitty-gritty of what David's saying, uh, and, and it raises be useful questions. We feel like we're meant to love everybody. And, and David's saying, well, I'm not going to follow that path. And and Jesus actually says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, say, he says, beware of people that influence you. Um, and and I, I think part of what, in answer to what Pete's saying, I think the first part of what David says is the important part, part of response to the second part. Like, this is why uh, I think people who reckon they can get by without church are potentially, uh, well, this is where they're a bit misguided, in my view. Uh, without a, you get by without a healthy church. Maybe I should qualify that. Uh, just to say, 
I, one of the things we have to all come to terms with is that we are being shaped all the time by all the messages we get, and particularly they've done all the research, they call them mirror neurons. Uh, the, our brains get shaped by the people we 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 allow to um, they, they say you won't be shaped by people you don't identify with or, or who, who you wouldn't call part of your people, but by the people you call part of your people, whatever that means for you, you are shaped by them. You are profoundly shaped by them. Uh, and that, and, and I think that's what David's saying. And I, I think we need people around us who love Jesus more than their own identities. And the more we hang around with people like that, it will shape us. It'll help us love Jesus more. It'll help us be freer. And that's what the church is meant to be. And, uh, and from that place, from that relationship, we've got a bunch of friends who remind us who we're meant to be. Then, then we reach out into the world. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not, he's saying to, to this is in a conversation about, you know, allowing people who are headed in the wrong path to have too much influence in the church. So I'm not saying don't, you're saying don't try and separate yourself from the world. You can't do that. But make sure you're not allowing people who are saying one thing and doing another to have influence over you and the church. And so we actually, we actually, this is a, this psalm, and I think the whole Bible is a call to discernment about our relationships. Who are you going to let influence you? Uh, and if you let the wrong people influence you, you will end up heading in you know, a direction that's not healthy and is not the life that God has for you. And so the church is meant to be a bunch of people with their eyes on Jesus, but also with their eyes on each other and, and calling each other out to, to grow. Uh, and that's, that's why I think we need the church. And if, if we don't have that, if we don't have the counterculture, then we are going to be more shaped by the world, by, by people who have different value systems, no matter what we do on a Sunday morning, we, we will still be more shaped by the world than we will be by Jesus. And that's why I, I, that's why I think Jesus keeps coming back to the yeast and worrying about influence and that kind of thing, and Paul keeps talking about it. Uh, but we are not then meant to then hate people who aren't like us. We're meant to love them, but we need the firm foundation of friends who help us hang on to a firm base from which to love people. And I'll probably stop rabbiting on at that point, but this is, it's a great question Pete asks. I, I think it's a great question too, but I think it should be answered in two parts. So what was the first part again, Matt? Uh, what, what is basically bouncing off where it says, you should distance yourself from those who place a high value on, on things that are not important. I just wonder how he's saying how do we have a positive influence on these people without compromising our, our own values was the first part of the question and then the second part yeah. was how do we get sucked in how do we not get sucked in with people who say they're you know living from the right values but are actually not yeah i think the first one is easy to answer um, in the fact that I, the way I look at it, and you know, they've done, as you said, they've done lots of studies, that the seven people you associate with most will be the ones that influence you the most. So the top seven 
who you have. If you and I've seen it several times. I've seen it lots, lots of examples where if you surround yourself with more negative people than positive people, you'll end up being negative. And and it's so true. And hmm. I think with godly people, it's it's how do you surround yourself with godly people? But also the how do you surround yourself with godly people who have for want of a better term, a part of your mob. Hmm. I think, I think, and that's, you know, because we have, we have the church and, you know, we want that to be a great community and, and that, but how do you actually make the church a mob for everybody? Hmm. And I think this is the, this is the dilemma as churches we face. Cause you said, you know, like, I don't understand why people, you know, or oh, something about you need church in your life. And I agree you need church in your life. But you also need church in your life that you can relate to, hmm. which is a really interesting conundrum for churches to actually wrestle with. And I, I think, and as far as um, other people in the world, you, you, um, I suppose it's your mindset in which you're meeting them with. Are you meeting them to actually do for want of a better term, friendship evangelism or something like that, something similar to that, which means you're not necessarily influenced by them as opposed to if you're meeting them as a peer where you're, where you're learning, that's probably the where you're picking up just as much as their culture as they have you. I think that's where the danger lies. And I think that's yeah. the, it's a very fine line and, and to try and explain it and to live it is really difficult, but, You've, you've got to do it. Like, for example, um, talking about culture-wise, yeah, uh, the, the Nepalese congregation in our church would really struggle with the average Australian, you know, football gathering, for want of a better term. Um, and that's, that's a clash of cultures. So, but how do, you, how do you actually love into that, which is which what the question is, at the same time and not, and not become part of that culture, and you know, be in the world but not of the world. I suppose is the, is the answer, isn't it? But it's so easy said, <laughs> so hard to do sometimes. As you've been talking, both of you, I've been thinking about well, what's Jesus' example? Because um, at the end of the day, that's who we follow. And one of the things I noticed about Jesus is he often took time out. Um, to spend time alone with his father. Um, so he went off to pray uh, at night, in the early morning, so forth. And that's really where he grounded himself. Um, and he obviously, you know, spent time reading God's word because he knew God's word in and out. And, and you look at David and he does the same thing. He values God's word. He values the truth that he will find in God's word. And... Um, Jesus did the same thing. So he spent time not by himself, but alone with God and God's word kind of thing. So that's one thing that he did um, in terms of being able to ground himself. And the second thing he did was he, he, he chose a group of people to be close companions who mm. didn't always think like he did because the fact of the matter was he was their leader and there were many times he had to sort of take them aside and say, hmm, you know, when you were doing that, 
there might have been another way of doing that. This is the way I would have done it kind of thing. Um, and this is the way my father has revealed to me. But um, he got together a couple of, he did, he had a very close-knit support group who walked the journey with him, who shared that the values that he had, even if they may not have fully understood everything about what he was there to do. And then he, it also says he was the friend of the outcast and yeah. the sinners. He actually chose to spend time with people that most others in the society would have dismissed for whatever reason as wicked, as, you know, um, as, as shameful, they, they, or, you know, people yeah. who didn't quite have the um, status that others had and so forth. And he took time. He actually treated them not as those kind of people but as people who had worth and value in their own right. Mm -hmm. Now, did that mean he would have agreed with everything that they were doing? I don't think so. But what he did, he brought the love of his father to those people. Um, and But he was actually getting the source of his values were mm -hmm. what reflected in the way he then was open with everybody. And then, of course, he took it up to the... the I don't think he necessarily took it up to all Pharisees and religious leaders because not all of them were necessarily living one thing and saying another, but mm. there were enough of them that he had to point it out and the challenges also for us. So, but always he came back to well, what is my father saying and what is the word of God telling me? Mm. And, and I think looking at the psalm, I think that's a, the temp, same template. David gives us. He, start, he starts with his relationship with God mm. and then he, then he says you need friends. Uh, and and the people Jesus hung out with were not the people David describes. He, he say, David says, watch out for people who, are, who have other gods, who, who give their allegiance to uh, other gods. The people Jesus mm. hung out with were the people that knew they needed help. The people that knew that they didn't have all the answers. It was the ones, the ones who have their own answers and like their own answers. That they're the ones he 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 would kick up the bum. Uh, mm. And and I, I, so that's the I I agree. I I think uh, the Christian church, whenever it's been at its best, it's always had space for people outside the church who know they don't have the answers. It's it's always been a danger in the Christian church that people, people who think they do have the answers apart from God or people who are looking for, like, like the Bible calls it idolatry and that sounds so, like it's, it's not, it doesn't sound like something we would worry about because we're not into idols. Uh, except that uh, idolatry is, is worshipping something other than God. And, and we do... And, and part of what I, the reason I read that David Foster Wallace quote was he was saying everyone worships. Everyone has a set of values. And there's something that's more important than other things in life. And the thing that's the most important thing in your life is really what you worth, worship or give worth to. And so we do. Idolatry is a huge thing for us. It's, and, and that's why we've got to watch the, our, our – I, I think you're right, Anne. 
And I think we need the time alone with God. You see David doing that. But we, we also need, we need our friends. Uh, now, we, we're not going to be Jesus in the group of friends in that we won't be the, the leaders. We'll be more the Davids who say, look, I need God's holy people because um, none of us will have all the answers. Uh, but we, I think we do have to watch the, the people who think they have the answers in our life, the people that will tell us this is what you need in order to be okay, which is like half the ads you'll see on TV. Uh, that's the stuff we've got to watch out for. I think that's what David would be saying to us. My guess. Uh, and having said it in relation to others, I think it's a really important thing that we need to watch out for within ourselves. Um, well, for me anyway. <laughs> um, how easy it is to get sucked in to, or to do, you know, those things, you know, other things of value um, mm. and that in and of themselves are fine, perfectly okay. But it's what actually then, um, what is it that grounds you? What is it that actually shapes your choices? Yeah. Um, and and we can, and that, and so we, do, I know I run the risk, as does every person who calls Jesus their Lord, that at some point um, I might uh, say the words but not mean the words, which is when my lifestyle doesn't match up. And um, so it's always, um, and that's why coming back to God is so important. Why Jesus, I think, was continually making time to be with his father so yes. that he was always lining himself up and testing what he was thinking and doing in relation to his father. Mm. It's just, um, I find it really interesting, the conversation you, you two just had. Um, and it, and it, it strikes me that we, when we talk about things like this, we're talking about it from uh, a middle-income family with children. Uh, it's been on my mind, it's challenged me lately that, you know, we talk about coming back to God. We talk about spending time with God. We talk about all those things which are really, really good and really, really important. But how do people who are just surviving get to do that? How are people who have never had the opportunity to know God or even, you know, even get to the stage of knowing God? How do we actually make those people feel welcome in a church so they can actually understand it. You know, like it's this conundrum we have. Um, and churches, we want to be representative society. We want to do all this, but we have a very narrow focus if we actually sit back and have an honest look at ourselves. And I just, someone said something to me on the weekend after listening to the, the sermon and it, and it did challenge me, you know, like who, the answers we've given today, um, what are they based? They're based on our own experiences, which is fine. But at the same time, how does that help the single mother who is struggling to put food on the table? How can you give her an answer that isn't just, well, you know, let's try and be like Jesus. Um, David struggled and, and came back, you know, but David's also a man after God's own heart. So how do we, how do we actually go encourage other 
people who aren't like us to be welcome in our in our mob, for want of a better term. That's hmm. a it's just a thought. I have no answer to it a question, but that's my question. Well, I, I think part of it is your what you were saying about your seven. Who, um, I, I, I think when the church is at its best, it is a welcoming place for everybody, uh, and not it, and 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 not everybody uh, uh, will relate to everybody. But in a healthy church, there'll be somebody who relates to most people, you know. Uh, but but the, the, there is always this danger. How do you, is, you know, is he, uh, C.S. Lewis, I was listening to it this morning, he talked about how the, when he became a Christian, the last thing he wanted to do was go to church. He talked about seeing sixth-rate songs uh, and, like, a, having a pastor that who's... The teaching was off with the fairies, but he had to realise that he had to overcome his own his own pride and realise that that guy in the chair with the elastic sided boots who who looks who who is nowhere near his intellectual equal that he actually isn't fit to tie the shoelaces up. That that you won't. Uh, that that ultimately coming to church there's a there's a humbling thing that is required because we have we we have all kinds of people in our church but uh none of them uh, and it's really tempting for me to to look at some of them and think you know how does that work or whatever but there is a the, the it only works when everybody in the church is seeing the best in each other, and because I like certainly in our church we don't have they're not all middle class, um, uh, double income. We, we've got, but but there is this. I was just listening. There there is this thing. Like I've got a, I've got to watch my definitions of what success looks like or what good is. And, and and we've got to work out what is it what does it mean the church will only work if each one of us humbles ourselves and says hey Jesus I don't know how this works but you're more important than I am and and help me see the beauty in that person help help me see the stuff that doesn't fit uh, and and I I wish I could remember exactly how C.S. Lewis put it but he he had to get past his his picture and his superiority, and and we've got a and, and while it is true that probably the majority of our people are middle class, um, it's not certainly not all all of them, and we don't have a whole lot of people who you'd say were belong in Sandy Bay. We've got a few who we probably do, um, uh, but the I think this is the. The more we hang out with Jesus, the more he 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 reminds us uh, that the way we see the world isn't the way the world is, and and the church is a place for 
rich and poor and black and white and old and young and 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 if it's not there's a problem with it um but it is it does require from everybody a humility um and and the church and, and the other thing is there's a there's a wrong thinking that is in our culture at the moment and i'm conscious of the time I'll leave it to, but that there's a wrong thinking that says church has to be a safe place where everybody's going to value me and and I'm going to be heard deeply. And that, that safe place thinking is a disease in our culture at the moment that's, that says I'm not going to be offended by anybody. Let me tell you, in a healthy church, you're going to be offended all the time uh, because uh, people are different and we all have different painful experiences that get triggered by each other. Uh, and it's not going to be a comfortable place, but it is it's going to be a place where you will grow and where you, when it's at its best, where you'll be loved. But mostly it'll be a place where you're reminded that Jesus is the centre of the universe and you're not. And if you're looking for a safe place, then you're probably not looking for the church because the church, church should be calling you out of your own safe zone, if you know what I mean. And so I think we've got to, we've got to talk more about the, the language that's being used for that, that is deep in our culture now. That's it. You know, it says we need safe places. Um, anyway, that's a whole other discussion that heads in a different direction. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, we're just we're just starting to open another can of worms. That, but it, but it's important discussion. I, mm-hmm. I I hate that there'll be people who come to our church who don't feel welcome and loved and accepted. I hate that. Um, Except that I also know there are times where I don't feel welcome, but loved, and accepted, uh, and I'm the pastor, um, and and I know that part of my task is rather than say this church should be better, it's for me to work out what does it mean to welcome and love and accept, and 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 it's easy to there's a whole lot of people on the edge saying you should do this differently in order for me to feel okay. Well, I don't think the church was ever meant to be that. I think the church is the one where we all carry the weight together. Um, and it's not its not simple and it's not easy, but it is what the church is meant to be in my view. Mm-hmm. Again, I've rabbited it too long. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've actually got a soapbox over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean, great. I would, I would just challenge Matt on one thing before I let that one go. Um, yeah. I think church should be a safe space, but it should be a challenging space. Again, depends you what you mean be, by safe space and what you mean by challenging. You space. should be. You should feel welcome to be challenged, as opposed to feel unsafe. Yeah, most I, I agree. Except in our culture, uh, there is being what the what people mean by safe space means that my my view of the world isn't being challenged, and so yeah, I, I, I actually think it's an important one for us to because I don't think I, I don't the church is not meant to be a place where your view of the world doesn't get challenged. I, I agree. <laughs> We would use the phrase "iron sharpening iron," where yeah. we're sparking off each other 
inspiring each other. And there's no way to do that. Like there's no, the whole point of iron sharpens iron is that bits of you get rubbed off, Hmm. you know, so, but it's a. But in a safe way. Yeah. And and it's got to be a foundation, you know, what Anne was talking about. It's got to be from a foundation of knowing you're loved by God and what Hmm. David's talking about, watching out for the idols, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. That's why I think Psalm 16 is the foundation of the spiritual life in that he's sort of laying this is the stuff that helps you stay sane. But I, I am pleased we've managed to put the puppy to sleep, so that's, that's good. <laughs> and and well, we're going to give you the last word, I think. Oh, am, are we? I just want to say um, each one of us is who, you know, we are who we are with of of... Um, our upbringing, where the product, you know, like change, circumstances change and we can end up, you know, and and I don't want to take anything away or belittle the mm. struggle that many people have. Um, they, they can be single mum, they can be on the breadline or under the breadline. They can have any, they can be, be unwell. There's any number of things that people suffer and struggle with. Mm. And the last thing I want to do is... But what I've said here today to make mm. people feel like um, they have to do life the way I do life, it's just not it's just not fair and I don't want to do that. And if I've implied that in any way, I'm very sorry. Um, I think that no matter where you are in, and, and how do you, I mean, I know that, and it saddens me that there are people and there are generations of people who have not really encountered the love of God Mm. and um, how do we bring the love of God to people who've never really encountered what love looks like yeah yeah and um, and that is a challenge for me and it's a challenge for you and it's a challenge for the church Mm. and it's the one it's the heart that God wants us to have within us when he says love your neighbor as you love yourself don't impose yourself. Don't impose the way you do life with them, but love them and show them that God loves them. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so, and even for me at different stages of my life, you know, when I was busy looking after four young kids and um, did I have the same time to just spend in quiet? No. <laughs> but there are ways that I could still connect with God, even in spite of that. Um, and, and I think it's about being that honesty that David expressed is what we need to be able to do no matter who we are and where we are in life and bring who we are and where we are to God and just say, this is, this is who I am, Lord. This is what I'm struggling with, just like David did, and find that he is... And, and in, in that moment of honesty, as you've already said, Paul, that he can be your portion. Mm. He can be your strength. Mm. And he, through his spirit, will somehow encounter you in just the way you need to be encountered. Yeah. Um, mm. so, yeah. 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 That's great, Anne. So we better finish here. An hour and four. No one's going to get to the end of this. We could say what we like now. No one will hear it. <laughs> but, but, um, if you have, if, for those who have got to us, let us know. We'd like to know if anyone made it to the end. 
made it to one without skipping any. Um, what I would encourage you to do is because this psalm is a beautiful piece of poetry that captures the heart of what David's aspiring to or experiencing. And I'd, I'd really encourage you to go to a place where you find peace. It might be by the river or a waterfall, mountain, in your lounge room. Pull this psalm out and spend a bit of time just reflecting on it. Let it sink in, let it soak in. I'd really encourage you to, to let it speak to you. Um, so thanks, guys, for sharing. Hmm. I, I feel sharpened. <laughs> so no, it's good. <laughs> it's nice to talk through these things. Um, yeah. And we'll catch you again next week. Now, we're, we're on a church camp this Sunday. Uh, so the sermon will actually be coming to you from Poetina. We'll still be hmm. streaming it on our YouTube channel and on Facebook so you can still watch. Um, but for those who are with us, it's going to be a fun time. So I'm not sure what we'll talk about next Tuesday at our podcast, but it'll be energized, I think, through our time together as family. So. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. See you later.